Amen. My, so my name is, is Luke Hedinger. For those of you who I haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, I, I get the privilege to be one of the pastors on staff. Um, and, and so this morning what we're going to be doing, if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, if you don't have Bibles, you can use those seat back Bibles in front of you and uh, it's going to be page 1495 uh, in those seat back Bibles, 1495. Um, what we're, what we're doing, so, so uh, Pastor Craig, last week he started us uh, in this sermon series, kind of a short sermon series, talking about the mission of the church. What does it look like for us as a church to be on mission? And, and, and because the reality is, Compass Church, we don't just exist as a church because we have a building here on Sylvie Street, Right? Some of you are like, yeah, well, yeah, I guess so. I don't know where you're going with this. It's, it, guys, we can't, let me say it this way. We, I'll double down. We can't exist just because we have a building on Sylvie Street. We can't exist just because we have existed. We as a church, as a body of believers, as people coming together, we have a mission. Amen. We have been given a great commission, and uh, Craig talked about this last week, that, that Jesus Christ himself, uh, before he ascended into heaven, gave us a commission, and what is that commission? What is the mission of the church? To make disciples, that's right, to make disciples of all nations, right? To go and make disciples. And, and, and if, you, if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to go back and uh, listen to the message. Craig did a fantastic job of saying, here's the mission because here's, here's the reality. We can, we can get excited and we can be like, all right, oh, we have a mission. Uh, you know, but what is a disciple? And what does it mean? And I haven't been discipled, so can I be a disciple? And well, I don't know how to do all this stuff. And, and at times, it, you know, when, when I used to work primarily with college students, I'd describe college students as pop bottle rockets without the stick, right? Some of you have never been kids, I guess, and you don't know what that means. Because the reality is when you take the stick off the pop bottle rocket, you get all the force, no direction, Right? It's a little bit dangerous, a little scary, still fun, all, you know, all that stuff. Go home, try it out. No, don't really. It's dangerous. Um, but, but that's, that's kind of when we can when we go, all right, we're on mission. But then, okay, what is that mission? And Craig did a fantastic job of laying out what is the mission and where are we as a society? Because sometimes it can feel like we're just completely missing it. It can feel like, all right, here's, here's where society's going, here's where the church is, and, and how do we come together, and how do we be a part of that? Side note, our, hopefully our live stream's working today. We've been having problems with that, so if you tried to listen to last week's message, I, we, we got some calls saying it was really garbled and it was real bad. We know. Sorry. Uh, we're trying to get that fixed. I'm not a tech person whatsoever. Praise God that we have tech people. Um, but I'm not a tech person. As you can see, our screens look like this this morning. So, and I don't know why. But anyway, so we're, we're getting that fixed. But if you, if you weren't here, didn't hear that message, go back, listen to it. We have the podcast up. Should be good. Let me know if it's not. All right. But this morning, uh, what Craig talked about last week, kind of in, in summation of what does it look like for us, Compass Church, to be a church on mission, where we, we're not a church just because we have a building, we're not a church just because we've been here for 53 years, 
We're a church because Jesus Christ has given us a commission. What does that look like? We, and, and we talked about, uh, Craig talked last week about how we have this discipleship pathway. And as we learn what it means to be disciples, the, the way that's going to kind of play it out in, in our church is through these four different uh, aspects, four different, uh, four different arenas, you might say. We're, we're going to gather, connect, serve, and bless. And so over these next few weeks, we're talking about what do each of those things look like and what do we mean by those things. And, and, and this week, what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to look at gather, but here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to kind of look at gather from like a 30,000 foot view. And then next week, Craig is going to come back. We broke this gather step up into two different messages because it is so important. If we're saying this is one of the first steps, then we want to take some time and say, this is what we mean by this. So Craig is going to come back next week and kind of give the the boots on the ground. This is what it means, Compass Church, for us to gather and for it not just to be a show, right? Troy does a fantastic job. Amy, that is beautiful. I love the violin. Sometimes I call it a fiddle because it's just awesome. Uh, and we're in Missouri and you can do that, right? But I, I, love, I love what happens up here, but this is not a performance, right? This, is, this isn't a performance. So what, what are we talking about when we say we're gathering together? So, so Craig's going to talk next week, kind of boots on the ground, what do we mean by that? But this week, as we start talking about gathering, um, as, as Craig and I were talking, I kept, when even just that word gather, my mind immediately went to this passage in Matthew 16. Because in Matthew 16, uh, we're going to start with verse 13 here in a few minutes, um, and, and we'll read the whole thing, but in verse 18, Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus has a wild claim about the gathering of the church, about the church, the ecclesia, and that word ecclesia, it's a, it's a Greek word, which is, uh, it's a translation of a Hebrew word that describes the people of God, the Israelites coming together gathering together. So Jesus makes this outstanding claim, this wild claim about the church, the gathering of believers. Do you, do you remember what it is? It's pretty famous. He says, he says, Peter, he, again, we're going to read this. He says, Peter, you're the rock. And upon this rock, I will what? I will build my church and what? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Maybe, maybe some of you have never heard that before, and you're like, what does that even mean? See, it's, it's a crazy claim, and we're going to talk about what it means, but as I was thinking about what does it mean for us to gather the church, the, the ecclesia, again, what does it mean for us to do this? And when I think about this claim that Jesus had, it's like, I don't know, I, I can feel this tension in me. Right? There's, there's this part of me that I, I, I don't know if it's something I grew up with or I don't know if as I get older I get more cynical or what it is. But I have this, this tension in me where on one hand I have this like, um, you know, too good to be true mentality. Like a wait and see, like, well, we'll see kind of mentality, you know? And I don't know if that, I, I don't know if I got that because I grew up like driving salvage vehicles from, from my dad's you know, car lot or, or what it was, but like every, so for me, every time I see a car with like a new fancy whatever, like, have you seen those cars with a backup assist? Like, they'll just make me nervous. I'll be honest with you. 
It's like, I, I feel like if I had that car and I plugged that in, the car would just start ramming into everything. It's like, I, I remember when I had a, the mini, a minivan, and I love driving minivans, love them. Um, and I remember when we got a minivan with this new technology, the automatic sliding doors. <laughs> Whew, boy, we were high class. Right? And, and our kids were little, and so we're, you know, we're trying to wrestle them. And, and it's like, you, you're kidding me? You can push a button, and the sliding door just opens up. And I can remember when we got that van, and I don't, I don't remember if it was my dad or somebody else, but he said, yeah, that's great, just wait till it breaks. And sure enough, at some point, it stopped working. Have you ever tried to use those automatic sliding doors when the automatic sliding door doesn't work? It's like, it's like a boat anchor. I mean, and, and you're trying to wrestle kids in car seats and just pull this door open. See, there's this part of me where it's like, yeah, if it's too good to be true, it usually is. Right? I mean, there's this claim, yeah, we'll see. But then there's this other part of me, I can feel this tension, where I so, there's a part of me where it's like, I so desperately want amazing claims to be true. There's, there's a part in me, when I hear vision, when I hear, like, I'm the type of person when somebody's like, we're going here, and we're doing this, I'm, I'm like, yeah, let's, I'm right behind you, let's go do this. I get energized, and I want these claims to be true. I, I remember one time when we were living up in Iowa, and my, my daughter was real little, um, she's just a baby baby, and we were bottle feeding, so it was my turn at night to, to get up in the middle of the night and, and feed her a bottle, and if you're, you know, parents... You've probably been in that headspace before where it's like nothing really feels real. And it's like, I, why am I awake? And am I awake? And is this real life? And like, what's, what's happening? And, you know, I'm, I'm feeding her a bottle, which is probably not a good space to hold a little child, but it's parenting, right? So, so I'm, I'm holding her, feeding her a bottle, and I'm watching TV because it's three in the morning. There's nothing else to do. She won't go to sleep. And so I'm watching TV, and this is before streaming. So in rural Iowa, the only thing on at three in the morning was infomercials, right? And so I'm watching this infomercial, and all of a sudden, this, this thing comes on that, uh, selling this whole lot of knives and swords and, like, like pocket knives and all these really dangerous, cool-looking stuff. And, you know, and, and if you've, you, everybody's seen infomercials, right, where they're like, you got to have this right now for the low, low price. And I'm like, yes, you're right. I got to have that. And they're talking about how much money you'll save, which why does anybody need 60 pocket knives and 10 swords and all this? I don't know. But at the time, I'm like, you are right. I'm going to lose money if I don't do this. And I can remember holding my daughter, trying to balance the bottle, getting the telephone. Because in all these things, the countdown's going, right? You can see the countdown in the bottom screen where it's like, I have five seconds to make this decision. And I remember thinking, I should really wake up my wife. Like, she, she needs to know about this. Luckily, I came out of the fog, and I didn't call, and I didn't wake up my wife, and all that stuff. But there's, there is this desire in me. When I hear claims, my heart says, yes, I so desperately want to be a part of it, and I want it to be true. And as I read about the church, I can feel the tension. As we think about the gathering of believers, I feel the tension. And I think one of the reasons is is because so many of us have experienced hurt when it comes to church. 
So many of us have, have experienced manipulation and, and bullying and, and all these things by, by people who claim Christianity. And it's so devastating when we experience that. Or, or the other side is maybe you've never experienced that. And that's great. Praise God. But you've also, you've been in church your whole life and you're like, yeah, I don't really see like us knocking down the gates of hell and and you know like all these things that the church is supposed to have it's like yeah I mean church is great I still come I'm here but I I don't know if I'd I don't know if I'd say it's that right it's kind of too good to be true and yet the reality is as we read what Jesus claims are about the church my question is what if what if it is true what would that look like? What would it look like for us to, to, to function in this way where Jesus says, not even the gates of hell can prevail against it? What would that look like? And I, I think, again, we're going we're gonna to walk through this. So if you would stand with me, we're going to read this passage. And we're just going to kind of walk through what is Jesus talking about. And again, we're, we're looking at the 50,000 foot view of gathering. Craig's going to come back next week. He's going to talk about the boots on the ground. But as we look at this, I want us just to look at the claims. What does Jesus say about the church? In the context, we're going to look at all of it. So verse 13 says this. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness. We praise you for your word, and and God, I just want to call out the tension that I feel as we think about the church and the gathering of believers and what you're calling us to. I just call that out, that there is tension here. And yet, God, we see your claims, and so God, I pray that you would reveal to us what you would want to reveal to us. Holy Spirit, speak in this space. Be with us, God. Help us to have ears to hear, and it's in your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As we, as we look at this passage, okay, as we, as we look at this passage, there's a few things that I want us to really look at as we think about what, is, what does that mean? What is Jesus saying and how do we become that? What does that look like? Uh, the, it says that the, where they're at is important. It says that as they're going through the area, they come to this place, Caesarea Philippi. And, and I think if we, if we look at that and reading through commentaries, and, and I'm, I'm sure we've all heard sermons about this, this is a, a place, it was right on the northern edge of the, the Israeli kingdom, right on, the, right on the northern edge. In the Old Testament, this would have been the place where the, the tribe of Dan actually created a city at the foot of this mountain, uh, this mountain called uh, Hermon. And it's so interesting because this mountain, if you remember as we talked through, and if you weren't here, that's fine. You can go back online and listen to the sermons. But as we talked through our series on primary colors and how we can see so much in, in the very beginning pages of Scripture, one of, one of the, the things we looked at were mountains in Scripture. 
And I love it because, again, here we see another mountain. And Jesus is coming, and it's not by accident. He's not just kind of wandering aimlessly through the area, just like, I don't know what to do. Let's go here today. He's going here for a reason and a purpose. And he goes to this this mountain, and this mountain was believed to be the home of of, uh, Baal, the god of the Canaanites. This, this God that if you read through the Old Testament, you read about Baal worship and all these different things. And this was believed to be his home. And not only that, but throughout, uh, throughout history and now when, you, uh, when we look at in the New Testament, this was a place of worship by a ton of different pagans. There were a lot of different temples in this area around this, this mountain. It was believed to be uh, the place where the gates of Hades resided. Most likely, uh, it, it's, it's possible that there was where this is actually taking place, what we just read. It could have been a place where, where Pan was being worshipped. And there were these, these caves where the, the rivers would come out of. And these caves were believed to be the entrance to the underworld. And I think it's so interesting because Jesus is an incredible teacher, obviously, right? And Jesus, what he's doing is he's, he's engaging their intellect, by also, but also engaging their body. Right? He's saying, look at where we are. In light of this, in light of this mountain that, that is the home of this God that has led people astray, in this place, in, in the Old Testament, Dan, this city, which is now called Caesarea Philippi, this was a place where the, one of the kings, when the nation divided, when it became northern kingdom and southern kingdom, the northern king said, i, I got to set up some idols so that the people don't go to the temple uh, down south, so that they'll stay here and they'll be, uh, they'll be committed to me in this kingdom. So he sets up an idol in this city and says, here's your God. This is the God that led you out of Egypt. And it was this place where God's people totally went off the rails and started worshiping other things. And in light of that, in this context, Jesus asks this question. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that I am? I love it because it's almost as if we we got done with last week's sermon and, and praise God, I, I, again, I love just looking at where we're at and, and thinking about where we came since the, the dark ages of the early 90s, right? And, and where we're at now and, and what does it look like and how do we engage? And, and there is a temptation, though, in the midst of that to say, I don't know what we do with all that. Right? I, I don't know, like the church seems like sometimes it's in decline and we're, we're out of touch and all these different things. And I don't really know what to do with that. And yet it seems as though Jesus would ask us the same question in the shadow of this mountain where it's so tempting to just throw up our hands and say, I, I don't know. So tempting to throw up our hands. And into that context, Jesus says, yeah, who do people say that I am? That's a good question, right? In light of our culture, in light of our circumstances, in light of where we find ourselves, the question remains, who do people say that I am? Well, the disciples, they they start off, who they say first? Well, some say you're who? John the Baptist, right? 
Some say you're John the Baptist. This, this was a, a thing that King Herod said early on in Matthew when, when King Herod actually killed John the Baptist. He beheaded John the Baptist. And I don't know if this was like a superstitious thing that King Herod was like, ah, he's back, like the headless horseman, like come back to, to haunt me. Or I don't, I don't know what the, what the deal was, but, but he's, and some people ran with that narrative. Like, oh yeah, John the Baptist. And other people say who? Elijah, right? Which Elijah, if you, if you read in the Old Testament, Elijah is one of my favorite prophets. He does some crazy things, right? I mean, he's the guy that called down fire on, uh, of God and all the, the prophets. I mean, they, they killed them all and all. That was super violent, but an awesome story. And I mean, he, he turns into like a superhero after that. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, like outruns a chariot to get to this. I mean, crazy story. Go back and read it. Right? He's like, some people say you're Elijah because, I mean, you're so awesome. Other people say you're Jeremiah, which Jeremiah was an incredible prophet and, or, or some of the other prophets. And the belief was that Jeremiah would come back from the dead before the Messiah came. So, so there's, there's all these narratives running through the story. And it's so interesting because I think any of these narratives were, were good, right? They're all good. I mean, if somebody, if somebody mistook me, like if they, they heard about me or they, they met me and they're like, you know who you remind me of? You remind me of Elijah. I'm like, yeah, I'll take it. I mean, that's, that's pretty odd. Like if somebody, if somebody meets me and is like, you, are, you, are you Justin Timberlake? It's like, no, but I mean, I'll take it. That's, I'll, you know, I'll go with that. See, the, there's all these different narratives and, and it's not like any of them were bad. They just weren't true, right? None, none of them were bad. They just missed the mark. And see, I, I think it's interesting how there's so many times where you and I, there are so many different narratives that we're being invited into, right? Every commercial, I don't know commercials are kind of a thing of the past, but every commercial is not really selling a product. It's selling an identity or a narrative, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, if you remember, I was looking up last night as I was thinking about this, the, those old, you remember those old, this dates me a little bit, you remember those old commercials about Mac and PC? Remember those? Yeah, remember, remember the Mac, he's like, hey, I'm a Mac. And he's like, got this t-shirt on and blue jeans, and just kind of a cool looking guy, and he's like, hey, what's up? You know, he's just like, chill. And then, and then he's like, you like, this guy has a tie and a suit and kind of, you know, comb over and the, the glasses like, uh, I'm a PC, you know, and like the whole, the whole thing, it's not really selling like the, the PC or the Mac, it's saying, who do you want to be? It's a question about identity, it's a question about a narrative. It's saying, who do you want to, and, and it's so interesting to me, and maybe, I, maybe it's just my personality, and I fall for these things and I'm gullible, but when, when I went from my dumb phone, my flip phone, my razor that, that would have lasted in, into eternity, which praise God for razor. When, when I went from, some of you don't know what we're talking, that's okay, but when I went from my flip phone to a smartphone, guess what I got? An iPhone, right. Why? Because it was cool. I bought into a narrative. I don't want to be this guy. <laughs> I got my uh, uh, apples or, or I got my windows. Whatever. You know, I didn't want to be that guy. I want to be this guy. Yeah. Just checking my iPhone. What's no big deal. You know, I'm just that guy. Like that's, that's the narrative. And you see that there are so many narratives running through our world that might not necessarily be bad. I don't know if PC's worse than Mac. Genuinely don't know. <laughs> 
I have no idea, and I don't really care to know. So if you're like, I have my spreadsheet and I'll show you, I don't, I don't really care. I don't know what's better. But the reality is that we can choose an identity that is given to us, and it might not be bad, but it will be lesser. Right? I, I, I love that there's this quote by D.L. Moody. It says, our greatest fear should not be a failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. See, here's the reality. When, when we look at who Jesus is, what we are entering into is an identity. And that's what we see next, because Jesus, he doesn't just leave it there. Like, all those things are good. John the Baptist, good. Elijah, good. All, all those things are good. But he turns back around and he says, yeah, but who do you say that I am? Who do, who do you say that I am? And Peter pipes up right away and he says, you're the Christ. You are the son of the living God. You see, Peter, in that moment, he says, yeah, that's all out there. And yet I see that that doesn't, it's not right. It's not true. It's not there. And what Peter's actually doing is he's doubling down on a proclamation that happened just a few chapters before this. And in Matthew chapter 14, uh, you don't have to turn there. You can turn there later. But Matthew chapter 14, Jesus walks on water and there's a storm and all this says super scary. And he gets into the boat. And when he gets into the boat, the storm goes away. The water's calm, the clouds, all this stuff, it just calms down. And the disciples kind of in fear and awe say, this is the Christ, this is the Son of God. They're declaring in the boat what Peter's doubling down on in the shadow of this mountain. And I think it's, I think it's, I think it's important that what Jesus is doing here is there is, there is a thing that we can do when, our, when the storms of life are calm. And we're declaring, oh yeah, Jesus is who he says he is, and I am who he says I am, and all these different things, and the storms of life are calm. There's another thing when we're standing in the shadow of of opposition, when we're standing in the shadow of death, when we're standing where life is really hard and all these different things are happening to us and saying, this is who you are even now. Right, because even after, after Peter makes his declaration, after Peter does this, what does Jesus do? He says, ah, oh, Simon, son of Jonah, Simon, bar Jonah, son of Jonah. He's, he's mirroring what, what Peter just said. He's saying, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And, he's, and he says, oh, Simon, son of Jonah. Yeah, nobody said this to you. This is from my father. Father, and you are Peter, which Peter, that word Peter is the word for rock. He says, you are Peter, and what? And upon this rock, I will build my church, the gathering of believers. You see, right there, what happens is that in in declaring who Jesus was, Jesus declares who Peter is. Isn't that beautiful? We see it early on in Mark's gospel when Jesus meets Peter for the first time. He was called Simon and Simon comes to Jesus and they're meeting. And Jesus is like, oh, you're Cephas, which is the Aramaic word for Peter, which is the word for rock. And in that he gives him a new name in the very beginning of his ministry. And yet here as Jesus says, this is who you are. In light of everything going on, this is who you are. Jesus doubles down and says, this is who you are, Peter. And I love it because in that, what we see is Peter begins to walk in the identity that God has given him. And and I think when we look at how do we live out this claim, 
Here's here's the reality. When we live out of a God-given identity, we will live on God-given mission. See, that's what Peter was doing. He's proclaiming who Jesus is, and by doing that, he's given this identity, and then he's put on mission, because right after that, the claim is what? You're Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Now, this is a little bit confusing, because some people look at this and say, oh, he's, the rock is Peter, and the church is built on Peter. I don't believe that's what this is actually saying, Okay. I believe what we're seeing here is Peter walking in the fullness of his God-given identity, proclaiming who Jesus is. On that identity, Jesus says, I can work with that. I can work with people who are living out their God-given identity. I can can put you on a God-given mission when when you're focused on who I am and becoming who you are. One, One commentary put it this way. I thought this was helpful. It says, moreover, the statement that the rock is Peter is true only as we keep in mind what that apostle has just said. It is not Peter simply as Peter, but Peter who has confessed Jesus as the Messiah, who is the church's foundation. Uh, I, I lost my, yeah. <laughs> On whom the church is to be built. We must not separate the man from the words he has just spoken. What that's saying is he's saying it's not just Peter, but it's Peter walking in the fullness of his God-given identity. Right? We see that? You see, what, what he says there after that is Jesus makes this wild claim. And he says, when we as God's people walk in the fullness of his identity, when we understand who we're supposed to be, we can then become who God is making us become. We can be people on mission. And what does he say? The gates of hell will not prevail against you. Will not prevail against the church. I love it because when we think about this, and again, I'm sure you've heard this oftentimes. Like, I I love, I love war movies. I'm a a big fan of like Braveheart and Gladiator and all the, you know, these movies. Like, I mean, don't go take your kids and watch. I'm not, I'm not like sanctioning them or anything else. But they're, they're, I, I just love these movies like that. You know, one thing I've never seen, like in Braveheart, you don't see people going out to battle carrying the gates of the city, Right? It's not like, oh, let's go fight the English. Grab the gates. Like, it's not an offensive weapon. But what we do see when William Wallace, the, the, the lead of this movie, comes and fights against a city, they're, they're saying, oh, retreat. Go behind the gates. And they shut the gates hoping that they'll keep out the enemy. Right? What we see Jesus saying here is he's, he's making a statement and he's saying, look, especially thinking about where they're at. Again, we talked about at the foot of this mountain. Most likely there are these places at the, the foot of this mountain that are known as the gates of Hades or the, the entrance into the underworld. And what he's doing is he's saying, I'm making a new creation people living out of the identity I've given them. And guess what? There is nothing in the underworld that can come against you. In fact, new creation people are working against decreation. When when we live and function and gather together in the understanding of who we are, we are called into a deeper mission. Living out who God has made us to be. Amen? Do we see that? 
You see, when, when we think about what does it mean to gather then, what does it mean to, to this gathering, this ecclesia, the, the, the people, these new creation people proclaiming this is who Christ is living in the identity that God has given us so that we can live out the purposes God has given us. What does that look like? I mean, we see throughout the New Testament that this new church, these, these new believers coming together in Acts 2, 42, says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The first thing that we see when the new church comes together is they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the word of God. That is scripture. In order for us to truly, fully walk in the identity that we've been given, we need to come together and orient our lives around what Scripture says, who it says that we are. Right? I mean, we see this in Acts 1, um, when, when Jesus ascends into heaven, he sends his disciples, he says, hey, go back to Jerusalem, stay there until the promised Holy Spirit comes, promised helper comes. They go back, what do they do? They're praying together, and, and they're opening God's word together. They, I mean, if you think about where they were, the disciples, 40 days before this, they just watched their friend deny Jesus, and then, and then go and hang himself. They just watched Jesus ascend into heaven and there's this, there's this promised Holy Spirit that's coming and, and there's confusion and, and they're praying and they're together. And, and what they do in that upper room, they start to look at Scripture. In Psalm 69, uh, they, they quote Psalm 69 to each other, which, which is a, a reference to Judas's betrayal and, and um, his suicide. And then they also reference Psalm 109, which, which kind of gives them a direction. It's like, this is where we go now. And what we see the early church doing is that in the midst of their chaos, in the midst of their confusion, they're allowing God's word to dictate their path. Right? It, it reminds me of when, like, when I was uh, it, it, growing up, we'd go to church camp every year and we'd have like summer Olympics at these church camps because they just had to keep us busy for a week and you know, it's hard to know what to do with junior high, a bunch of junior high kids. And, and, and we got in the pool one day and they had us do this race. And so I'm super competitive. Like I'm a, I was a competitive kid and I'm a pretty competitive adult. And I, I remember thinking, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill this. I'm going to knock this out of the park and I'm getting ready. And I, I don't know why. I wasn't like a strong swimmer. But I, man, I was, I was confident, you know. And I'm like just envisioning just being a dolphin, you know. And I'm, I'm going to go. And all of a sudden, you know, they, they blew the whistle. And I put my head in and I'm going, I'm going. I'm just tearing it up like Michael Phelps. Like I'm going. And, and you know, I get to the place where it's like, okay, I've been going for a while I'm kind of tired I should have reached the other side by now like I don't know what's happening and so I stop I lift my head out and I'm breathing and everybody's laughing because at some point all that energy I had I had went and I don't know if my left side is a little weaker than my right side or what but I turned and I was swimming the length of the pool instead of just going straight and winning the race and they, they had already finished See, I, I think that that can be our experience throughout the week, right? We, we, can, we can come together, we can gather, we can look at God's word, we can worship together, we can do all these different things, and then we're like, okay, I have a mission, I'm going to go, I'm going to be a better husband this week, I'm going to be a better parent, I'm going I'm to be a good employee, I ha- we have all these things, and I'm allowing God's word to orient my life, and then life just kicks us in the teeth. And before we know it, we're confused and we're wondering where is God and all these different things. And yet what we see in the New Testament church is they allowed God's word to orient their, their lives. 
to, to supercharge this identity. Not only that, but we see that they, they came together and they prayed together. We're, we're not going to spend a ton of time on this, but, which is terrible when I'm saying that, but we're, we are running out of time. But when, what we see when they came together to pray, I mean, Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 6, uh, we see that the disciples are asking Jesus, teach us how to pray. And Jesus says, when you pray, pray in this way. He doesn't say pray this prayer. He's not saying you have to pray this every day, you know, because I won't listen to you unless you say these words. It's not that. But he's saying here's, here's kind of an idea of what prayer is. And as we look at the Lord's Prayer, we see that it is, again, aligning ourselves with who God is. We're learning who God is. We're being reminded of who God is. We're sitting with God, asking the question, God, where are you working? We're allowing him to speak. We're being quiet before him. And, and we as a church, we want to be praying together. There's actually a group right now during the service that's praying over this service. They're praying for God to work. They're praying for God's faithfulness. They're praying for you and me. We want to be a church that is a praying church because it allows us to continue to, to, to live into the identity that God has given us. Not only that, but the last thing that we see over and over throughout Scripture is that when the early church gathered together, they would sing praises. And uh, Paul talks a lot about singing praises and spiritual hymns and all these different things. And so when we come together, I believe what Paul is talking about is he is, uh, he's talking about aligning our head with our heart. Have you ever heard anybody talk about, I, I've heard this so many times in the church, talk about the head-heart disconnect? Where it's like, I know what I need to do, but I, oh man, there, there's a disconnect. And I believe what happens when, when we do what Paul claims, we continue to live into the identity that God has given us, and we bring our emotions in line with our intellect. Right? To, when, when we do this, when we gather together, yes, we want to learn right information. That is important. And yet we don't want to neglect the emotional life of the believer. Because we're not just heads on sticks. And so we're going to sing things like, even when I don't feel it, you're working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. And sometimes it's like, why are we singing that so many times? It's the same thing over and over and over again. The reason is, is because we're giving our heart, our, our emotion, time to connect with what our head is saying. You see the same thing in the Psalms. There are, there are some Psalms where it repeats the same phrase over and over and over. And it's like, okay, come on, I got to go to work. Stop saying the same thing. I get it. But what the psalmist is doing, he's aligning his heart with what is true about who God is. So we're going to sing songs like that. We're also going to sing songs like there's a hymn sing coming up in September where, where we're going to come together and we're going to, we're going to honor the hymns of the past. And we sing hymns in, in service because there, are, there is something that happens when we sing songs like, like How Great Thou Art, Amazing Grace. All these, these different songs of, of tradition, they're, they're, they are powerful to align our hearts with what God is doing. See, we do this church not because we want, to, we want to get things right, but because we want to be people who are engaged with the identity that God has given us so we can be people living on the mission that God has given us. Amen? See, we still see there's still this tension. There's still this tension. 
Where it's like, yeah, I I don't know about that. It it feels too good to be true, and yet I want it to be true, and what do we do? And yet, as I was thinking about this passage, what does it mean to gather? And Jesus claims that the gates of hell will not come against people who are identified with me. What do we think about that? Well, the reality is when you look back at history, that claim holds true. When we look back at history, when we see people who are engaged, who are identified with the God-given identity, we see people who are engaged with the God-given mission and purpose. When we see people who are engaged with the God-given identity, we see slavery abolished. We see the rights of the oppressed lifted up. We see, we see orphans given homes. When we look back at history, we see, we see the hungry being fed. I, I was reading just this past week about uh, different, different Christian uh, um, people throughout history. God has done some incredible things through people who are identified with him. Amen? And, and you see, I think the, the reality is we look at that and we're, we're over here and we're like, yeah, I mean, I don't know about that. Because we get it wrong so many times, don't we? Don't we? We get it wrong, unfortunately. But do you know why I believe we get it wrong as we look through Scripture? I think the reason we get it wrong, it's not because we don't know, but it's because we forget who we are. We forget who we are. When we're dealing with our kids, we forget who we are. When we're at work, we forget who we are. When that person cuts us off in traffic and we want to do something that maybe is not Christian, that is a forgetting of who we are. Who we are called to be. See, church, I believe that as we go out into this community, as we live as people identified with Christ, we can be people on mission with Christ. One of the the quotes I was thinking about this past week and even this morning, again by D.L. Moody, he says this, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. By God's help, I aim to be that man. With God's help, my prayer is that we aim to be that church. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We praise you for for who you are, for what you've done. God, we confess that there are so many times where we get it wrong, we forget who you are and who you've called us to be. God, we forget when we're in Aldi that we're not just a a person going to get milk and eggs, but we're a new creation person pushing back against darkness. God, we forget when we're in traffic, we're not just a person trying to get across town when students are back and getting frustrated, but we are new creation people pushing back against darkness. God, I pray, I pray that you would continue to remind us of who we are. God, let us be people living out of an identity given by God so that we can be people living on mission given by God. We love you, we praise you. It's in your name. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.